An uplifter is a compelling leader who tries to breathe life and hope into people around them. Who listen and care and guide and help. Whose way of being in the world inspires. Who uplifts with humor and understanding. Who leads by example. Don't judge. Vulnerable. Bold determination. Who are here to create a better world. Who can learn and teach. Who encourages you. Who shines their light to lead other people. Who uses their best self in order to help others. I found the life that I liked and I worked toward that. We are all uplifters. Mwah, big love. Susie Jaramillo is an uplifter. She is extraordinary. She is a creator. She is a founder. She is purpose-led and knows her worth. She is helping to bring a sense of pride and culture and learning to millions of kids around the world. And I could not be more inspired by her. I admire her and I'm so lucky to have her as a friend and a mentor. And I wanted to introduce her to you. Susie Jaramillo. Welcome to the Uplifters podcast. I'm your host, Aranza Savas, and I am here with a true uplifter, Susie Jaramillo. So... I met Susie through my friend Julie, who you just got to hear introducing Susie. And the thing that strikes me about Susie and so many of our guests is that they've done a lot of really impressive things. And those things that they've done have had a big impact on other people. But what's most interesting to me about Susie and what I'm most excited to explore with her today is how she does them, does, does them. <laughs> how she does them. And just like that little verbal blip there, how she manages the hiccups and the surprises and the inconveniences that come with doing big things. Because the fact is the only way we're not going to make mistakes is if we don't do anything. Um, so let me start by telling you about some of the things Susie has done, but then let's spend the rest of our time talking about how she does them. So Susie Jaramillo is an Emmy-nominated director, illustrator, storyteller, and entrepreneur. She serves as the president and chief creative officer of an organization that I couldn't possibly admire more or be more grateful for. It's a company called Encantos, and it is and many times over award-winning entertainment company for kids. She's been recognized a lot for her work. So you will now that if you haven't already met her, you'll probably see her name crop up everywhere, whether it's on Hollywood Reporter or NPR or Telemundo. You will hear from Susie and you will certainly see the characters that she's created around you. Susie, I know you're crazy busy doing all these things and – I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here today to help me learn from you and hopefully help all of the other uplifters out there listening and watching this learn from you as well. Oh, please. Thank you, Arances, for having me here today. And thank you for such a lovely intro and for being the mama to Wally the Worried Walrus, which is truly a 
beautiful expression of helping children um, learn mindful techniques and see that they are seen and that their worries are understood and um, sort of breathing life into that world. Um, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. Thank you. And, and truly, thank you for helping me tell that story. And I think that is, that is certainly one of your gifts and one of the expressions of it is that you help others find their stories. I don't know your story, though. <laughs> <laughs> See that? Everybody has a story. We do. <laughs> we do. Everybody has a story. Um, you know, my story is that of... It's a meandering path. Um, you don't know who you are until you do the earnest work of getting to know yourself and truly, um, you know, trying to chart your own path based on the gifts that you were given. I think that um, there's a trap and the trap is falling into someone else's definition of success. I think that's the trap. It's, you know, be a lawyer because that's what your family thinks you should be or be an engineer because that's what your family thinks you should be or, or you know, make tons of money or do, do, you know, whatever it is that the social society decides is what you should be. That's the, I feel like that's the biggest trap in the world. Following other people's rules almost. Um, I think that um, my, in many ways, um, I, I, one of my greatest gifts was not having any expectations being made of me <laughs> because I was number four girl child of a family of five. <laughs> and um, my parents separated when I was little and my mother had too much on her plate to worry about, you know, what Susie did, you know? And so I was given a lot of freedom to just pursue whatever I wanted to pursue. And when I expressed an interest in art, my mother always encouraged it. And she took me to some of the best museums in the world. And she and I would like spend, you know, really, you know, we would take our time. Like all of my siblings would be bored. But we would take our time talking about the Greek mythology that inspired this painting or the Bible story that inspired this painting. And I grew up with no TV um, because my mom was very classical and very um anti you know media in general even though she was a journalist for a while and so i read books lots of them um and you know my mother always um understood that i was a little different she used to tell me that i marched from a different drummer to a different drummer and um you know i used to i was the kid that got you know notes home that said susie doesn't follow instructions well it's totally true I've never been very good at following instructions. <laughs> I was the kid that did the free play with the Legos. <laughs> um, and when I expressed interest in art, um, she was like, well, if you're going to go to study art, you have to go to Pratt. It was like not even, and I had no idea how we would pay for any of that. Um, but again, she always like encouraged me to dream big, even though she was for most of her life a stay-at-home mom. And didn't really start to work until she had to work after the divorce. Um, and then I grew up between Florida and Venezuela. And so my father's family and everyone on my father's side of the family is Venezuelan, Spanish dominant. My father actually never learned English and never moved to this country. 
And so I was always very aware of the cultural differences between what it means to grow up in the United States and what it means to live in Venezuela, because I did, I did live there for um, my tweens, if you will, from, from 10 to 15. Wow. <laughs> what a story. I knew none of this, and I'm so fascinated to hear about how you became you. And I, one of the things you were talking about, and I think this comes up a lot in the conversations I get to have, is our definitions of success. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think it's super interesting that you said you they, you didn't have expectations placed on you because who had the energy when you're raising that many kids alone? What was your definition of success when you were little? I think for me, um, I always had this, like I knew I wasn't going to be like, I just have a gut instinct that I wasn't going to be successful in the traditional notion of success. And that for me, once I decided that I wanted to be an artist, for me, being true to my gifts and being the best at whatever I was, I would do was a definition. And then that definition evolved because my definition of success at age 18 is certainly not my definition today, right? So today... I'm way more concerned about the impact I might have on society and on my community than I am on how pretty a picture might look or, you know, a particular skill thing, right? Um, And where before I valued myself mostly on my technical skills, now... I value myself based on sort of like what I can bring to life and what I can give to other people and the impact that my work can have. And so it's, it's a completely different mechanism for evaluating yourself. And I've always thought, for me, the ultimate definition of success is truly um, using your gifts in a way that make you happy serve other people and hopefully is monetarily rewarding so that you can do more stuff, right? Um, And so that's kind of my definition of success. Um, And it's, I I feel like I've gotten myself, by making a lot of hard choices and from walking away, I've I've also known from an early age that, you know, a specific path would make me miserable and I don't do well under miserable circumstances. <laughs> so I was like, let's just take the other path. It'll be harder, but you'll be happier. Mm. So interesting that you had the clarity of judgment uh, throughout your life to be able to come back to that center point. And I think probably for many of us when we were 18, we were more purpose-led than we became in our 20s and 30s when kind of and 40s maybe even beyond when the rubber starts to meet the road and the reality Mm -hmm. of like survival Mm -hmm. right you bring Mm -hmm. up the fact of like following your gifts making the world a better place living a life of joy and I I feel like at 18 so many of us had a handle on that and we were like yes and then as we started to face the realities of paying the rent we were like Oh, forget all, like slowly we move away from that into the realities of paying the rent, having the kid, doing Mm. the, the, getting the title, getting the 
the mm-hmm. the traditional measures of mm-hmm. success. Yeah. No, it's it's true. Um, it's it's so interesting. You know, because I have I never expected to be like super super successful. I really didn't. I I I expected to be a, I all I wanted to be was a recognized artist and be respected for my skill. That's all I wanted. And that was sort of like so just a little bit of understanding of how I came to that conclusion. Um, I went to art school. I graduated in, you know, painting illustration um, from Pratt and immediately started working in production studios as an artist, as a, as a storyboard artist. And then from there, I actually, in a, in a very odd way, I started an advertising agency. <laughs> Best school ever. Best school ever. I feel like it taught me so much. It was a dream in the sense that, you know, we pitched and landed clients. And that's where I discovered, oh, I have front of the house skills. I pitch with passion. Um, Clients find me refreshing because I'm earnest and I'm very sincere about, you know, the vision that I want to create. And I have a deep empathy for the people that we're going to serve. And I have a deep empathy for what they're trying to do in terms of the brands that they want to build. And I'm able to convey a vision and a story. And I realized that, you know, creativity had so much more value when it was solving a business problem. And if you solved a business problem and also uplifted people, like put a smile on their face, or you elevated a universal truth that people needed to be reminded of, um, that you were actually in your small way inside of advertising, making a difference. Now, it got to the point where like, you know, we were, we were doing a lot of really great work um, and we were working for clients like Macy's and Perales and Morales and Pernod Ricard. And, you know, and what I realized was, you know, at the end of the day, um, I was more drawn to the stories that could be told in this market than I was to what could be created in the, ad- in the realms of advertising. Um, and I also found that the client's ambition was not as strong as mine. I really wanted to build out, you know, brands and stories and content that I felt would make a difference in people's lives with whatever skill set I brought to the table. And so when YouTube came out, and I mean, when Apple came out with the iPad, I was like, oh my God, what a story platform. Um, And when YouTube came out and anybody could put something online, um, I was like, okay, like this is a huge opportunity um, to, for us to sort of like tell our stories. And I was at the time I married my husband who's Colombian and we started having babies and, you know, I was going to be bringing these little children into the world that, you know, where I wanted them to be proud of their Latin culture and to be able to speak Spanish or at least under as much as possible. And I realized that there were no tools. Where are my board books? Where are my, you know, where's my apps? Where are my, where are my, where are my animation? There was nothing. And this is like circa 2012, 13. So I decided to sell my company and get back to my roots of drawing and illustration and story and create the world that I wanted my kids to have. And that I thought there would be so many other moms that would love to have, which is a world celebrating Latino nursery rhymes that was bilingual that we would do everything two times, once in English and once in Spanish, so that kids would learn through repetition, because that's how kids like to learn anyways. So why not capitalize on that repetition to teach them, you know, um, 
basic preschool concepts in English and Spanish with music and adorable characters. And I kind of put that out into the world, you know, I just, I worked on it. I put that out into the world. And then I started having lunch with people. And by the way, selling my company and starting from scratch was really hard when you start over because you're no one once again. You know, I, I didn't have a production budget or a media budget or a big title behind my, my name. I was just Susie creative, <laughs> creative you know? with an idea, creative, ex-entrepreneur, <laughs> like entrepreneur. And I wasn't even sure I wanted to be an entrepreneur again. Again, you know, it's, it's, you don't, you know, it's funny how sometimes, um, entrepreneurism, entrepreneurism finds you, you know, some people chase it. I don't think I chased it. Or maybe I did in the beginning. I, 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 the second time for sure, it was the type of thing that just kind of came to me. Um, I was, you know, in conversations with a publisher to do Canticos the traditional way. Um, I had an agent. I was being mentored by, um, you know, a, a really big, powerful guy from Nickelodeon. And, um, you know, I reached out to an old friend and he basically saw what I was doing and was like, oh, my God, what are you doing? You have to do this with me. Right. Um, and so literally that's how I got my business partner um, who was going through exactly the same thing that I was going through in terms of having babies and, you know, seeing that there was nothing really out there for them and understanding the business opportunity. So I think that that ability to understand the business opportunity around a problem that you're unique, you're uniquely qualified to solve is powerful. Mm-hmm. But then there's also like the universe collaborating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think when you mm-hmm. lean into your purpose and you lean into your gifts and you do what you're supposed yeah. to do, like the universe and the angels like cooperate to like help you make it happen. It's such an amazing story. And I was trying to sort of track your process as I listened to you. And it's actually mm-hmm. the same process I heard you follow in essence when you created your first company and even your decision to go to school and study art. And and I would summarize it by saying that your first step in each process was to really pay attention to your talents and gifts. And it was so much for, it was so much more than just creative expression. It was sincerity. It was the ability to connect with people. It was an authentic breed of storytelling in a world where maybe authenticity was rare. And then from there, it sounds as though in each instance, you realized that you didn't need to know everything. And you took what what I call a win-learn mindset, mm-hmm. so or a growth mindset, and you said, okay, I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to believe I'm an expert or the expert or the most qualified. And I always bring this up because I think so many women especially mm-hmm. get stymied by mm-hmm. a belief that they need to know everything to start, mm-hmm. right? And, and we feel as though we yeah. – we're not yeah. qualified, right? Yeah. And we're not ready. Yeah, and, and do that. <laughs> no, no. But yeah. we don't – so many women delay getting yeah. into relationships, having children, yeah. starting jobs, starting companies, going on trips mm-hmm. because they don't feel mm-hmm. ready or like the time is right or they have all the well, resources or knowledge. Can I just jump in? Yes. It's funny you should say that because when I was at the agency, I had a male partner – I had two male partners. One of them was um, the CEO and the other one was a design director. 
And I, my art design director truly aspired to be a film director. And I saw him completely unplug from our business at hand and just work on his films and pursue that. And like, he had no problem doing it. And I, I learned from him. I was like, oh my God, he's just doing it. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, because he, he just wants to see it done. So he's going to do that. I need to do the same thing. I, can, I, I just need to do it. You know, if I believe in myself and I want to make this happen, you don't find the time. You just make the time and you yeah. do it. But yeah. the only way to see your vision through is to take the first steps and start executing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that takes courage. Yeah. And it takes support. I'm sure the support of your husband mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. you sold your first company and mm-hmm. decided to start a second one. But can, I t- can I say something that my husband yeah. um, is, while he's incredibly supportive, he didn't really understand what I wanted to do. Uh-huh. And so I, I, I joke that it's true love because he supported me even though he had no clue what I was saying, <laughs> what, what I was trying to do. You know, so it wasn't like he saw it and he understood it and he was like, yes, you can do this. Go, go, go. It was more like, okay, are you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> it was a little bit more like that. But so again, I only say that because that means that the driving force has to come from you. Mm-hmm. It does. And and this keeps coming up with these pioneering women that I've been talking to is I wasn't even looking at the big picture because you didn't know. The answer mm-hmm. to his question wasn't, no, you don't know what you're doing entirely. <laughs> There's no way you could have because we can't predict the future and yeah. you were creating something that yeah. hadn't been made. Yeah. You know what I knew, Arancis? I knew that if I didn't try it, I would be a bitter old woman. That's the only thing I knew. <laughs> And I knew that there was the greatest risk in life is to not take risks. Yes. That is the greatest risk. So I knew that I risked more in, you know, trying to be what I wasn't and not live up to my purpose than I ever risked, you know, trying to build this thing from scratch and trying to make a global Latino nursery rhyme brand. <laughs> like to me, there was no, like it, it, it was, it was win-win. So if I failed, I still won. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up too. We, we did um, some, some research and testing a couple of years ago to see mm-hmm. what it took to get people to engage in healthy behaviors. Mm-hmm. And we had all these ideas about motivation and reward and pleasure. You want another thing? that got them to take action more than any other thing. Now it's not a long-term sustainable tactic, but the most powerful thing was a regret lottery. Yeah. When we told them there was a chance they might miss out on money specifically, but I think it would work with anything. In this case, that was the reward we chose. We told them there was a chance they might risk losing money Mm -hmm. were they not to engage and play. They acted. Yeah. Feeling a sense of joy, pleasure, satisfaction, self-confidence. None of that had the same immediate sense of reward. And I, so I think it's actually, it, it's, as I said, not a, a sustainable solution. Yeah. And it won't create long-term engagement. But to, for helping us get started, I think it's a really freaking powerful question. How will you feel if you don't do this? Yeah. I yeah, don't want to be a bitter old woman. It? Yeah, it was that simple. What kind of life do you want to live in? And I would I would kick myself if I hadn't tried it. And it's like I had the skills. I knew I had the art chops, 
by now I understood the branding. Ch- I, I knew the branding um, uh, that went along with it. I understood the business opportunity. I knew how to get in front and present and present the whole opportunity. Like by now I'm a, I'm a you know seasoned creator after our way. I'd, I'd ran the agency for 12 years. You know, worked with world class clients. You know, produced around the world. Um, I felt I felt like I was the right person to do this, as well as I happen to be a Latina mom. You know, so I can I can speak for the community. I can execute the way it needs to be done, and I can build a brand franchise in the way that you know few are qualified to do. And to have all of that in my skill set, I knew it made me a bit of a unicorn. And it's so funny because mm. back when I was like 19, I wrote something in my diary like that I want to be like the type of artist that shows in like the United Nations or something or that has something to do with like making the world a better place with their huh. art. Like I knew I want, I knew that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't know that story would be as, as so important. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and telling stories that impacted people. And, you know, I like to say that the best stories are stories that made you feel things and look at things a different way. And, um, they're educational, but you don't know they're educational. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that was an amazing story. It's like healthy food that tastes good. Exactly. It's like healthy food that tastes good. <laughs> slutty vegan. That's exactly what it's like. Exactly. <laughs> I want to make slutty vegan stories. <laughs> yes. Please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, I feel like powerful storytelling is the best kind of education there is. Well, and that, again, and I mean such an incredible mission and if i go back to how you how you do this and how we can learn from you again i think this idea of acknowledging that you don't have to know everything even in that story you just told about well i was uniquely positioned to do this yes and you could have looked at that story a very different way i can imagine a landscape in which a woman stopped herself by saying well, I led my own company, but it wasn't a multinational global brand, mm-hmm. right? Like we mm-hmm. can diminish Of anything. course, of course. It's true. <laughs> no, you know, you're, it's totally true. Um, I think that um, trusting that you have a calling and you have a purpose, mm-hmm. even though you don't know what it is, mm-hmm. is super important. Trusting that there's a reason for things. Um, and I think, um, I think I did that intuitively. Well, I think too, you were able to recognize that all of your past experience and all of your current experience and all of your needs had value, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? So it was everything from the way you grew up to the work that you had done to the position you were in currently as a mom to what you wanted in terms of impact. And you allowed all of that to be as valuable and as important as any other credential or any other experience. And I think that's part of the work that we as women have to do so often is to say, yeah, all that stuff mattered. Yeah. And we have to let it matter and stop stopping it. The other thing I just heard you say that I think is really important that I want to just open up for a second is this idea of looking back for clues. So that that little message you sent to yourself when you were 19 – that that was a that was a clue about where you are going to feel a sense of impact and purpose. Yeah, it's it's I it's funny when I was when I was 19, I was okay, so I was one of those really hardcore art students that I was accepted and I think when I when my um but I didn't go to an art high school or anything like that. And so I was like up against 
students that were had way more discipline than I do and had way more experience, right? And I remember when I was accepted, um, one of my teachers was like, uh, the professors, I actually never had him as a teacher. Um, he was like, oh, this portfolio is like mediocre or something like that. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I won't be mediocre by the time I leave. Mm. <laughs> and so I was the type that would draw eight hours a day and then afterwards do four-hour drawing classes on my own with peers, right? And um, I worked so hard and I had so much fun in art school. And by the time I left, I was top of my class. Mm. Um, I really was top of my class, not just academically, just even artistically. Um, I, I was well known as, oh, you know, I had my own little reputation as, as someone who could deliver the creative chops. Um, and I always felt that I was a diamond in the rough and I had to figure out what to do with it. And it's funny because I always saw marriage as like, oh, my God, if I get married and have kids, that's the end of my life. Because you know I, mean? <laughs> I was taught by my mother yeah. that, you know, when you get married, you dedicate yourself to your home and your children. Mm -hmm. And then that's the end of the story. And that you see success from what your children do. And that was, that never sounded appealing even remotely to me. And, and when I did marry, I married a partner who, if anything, would help me with my, my goals and what I wanted to achieve. And, you know, had the same vision of me and that, that, you know, you want to just sort of like be who you're supposed to be in this earth. And, um, I think that that innate sense that I have something to give, I think that just, that I, that came pre-installed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I know it's like, I knew I had something and I knew that I was bad at a lot of things. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not great at math. I'm dyslexic. I have no sense of direction. Um, if I, you know, get nervous or discombobulated, I'll lose things. Right. Um, so I, I understand a lot of my shortcomings. And which makes me deeply appreciative of other people who bring other skills to the table. Yeah. Right. And so I think for me, I knew intuitively lean into your strengths, play to your strengths every single day, compliment mm -hmm. your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. um, if you play to your strengths and cover your weaknesses, um, you can execute faster and at a way greater scale. Mm -hmm. And so that's, also something that, you know, I understood as an entrepreneur and it has taken me so, so far. And, th and I've also realized that that's what the great creative people do. <laughs> yeah. They know what they're good at. They know they what they're it. not good at. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I wrote down a really corny phrase mm -hmm. as I was listening to you um, because we've all heard it and maybe not internalized what it sounds like. And I think you're reminding us what it sounds like, which is the mm -hmm. phrase, do more of what you love. Yeah, absolutely. Do more of what you love. It's and so corny that my 14-year-old wears yeah. a t-shirt that I says it. <laughs> no, and, and be so good they can't ignore you. It was one of my favorite yeah. Steve Martin uh, um, quotes. Be so I good. love that. Mm -hmm. And I think too – what I hear in you a similar mindset that I've heard in a lot of women who are pioneers, which is, oh, I'm not great at this thing right away. Or I got feedback that maybe I wasn't already the best. Well, that doesn't mean anything yeah. except that you're not the best at that right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know what? It, it, it was fine. It was actually the best motivator um, to make me – really focus and be hardworking and diligent. And the funny thing is like, you realize like, it's not like it was cultivated me as a child. It was just something I did because I was bored and I didn't have TV, mm -hmm. you know? Um, 
And, you know, you have all of these other kids that are coming in on merit scholarships and that were, you know, deemed artists since they were children. I, I was not such a thing. I was, I was, you know, in high school, my, my art teacher favored me. That's about it, you know. <laughs> um, and, but, but you know what I've re- come to realize, Arancis, is that I may have, may, I may have valued myself um, at that time because of my artistic talent. Um, my professor always used to tell me, my mentor, the one who guided me the most, used to say, Susie, talent, that and a nickel won't get you on the subway. And he was right in the sense that there are a lot of talented people out there. If you feel that you have a story inside of you that should be told, um, chances are it should be, (laughs) you know, chances are it should be and that you should put it out into the world in whatever form you can. Um, Even if it doesn't, even if it only gets so far, it doesn't matter. You have no idea when it'll take off again. Um, And, you know, something was put together and put out in the world. And I, I think that's, I, I consider myself a gardener these days. I plant seeds. <laughs> mm. I plant seeds, and some of them bloom here and now. Canticos is one of them. Canticos is our very successful um, preschool brand. And others may take more time to get off the ground and truly bloom, but they, the seeds have been planted. Yes, and they're nourishing the soil. Yes, and they're nourishing yeah. the soil. Yeah. What a beautiful message to all of us, no matter what our dreams are. And, and I will sort of add to it what I saw as the fourth step in, in Susie's process, which was look for the impact and then lean into that. Find out where, where it's needed, your story. Find out where it's having an impact. And when you notice that it's having an impact, that is a call to keep going and to explore again, right? So there is this highly exploratory approach that you take where you you plant the seed, you see what grows, <laughs> you plant more of the seeds that grow. Mm-hmm. And along the way, maybe you plant some experimental seeds that you have no idea what they'll reap. And witness what happens and learn. And it is so much rooted, keep the analogy going, in this learner mindset that you've cultivated throughout the course of not just your career, but your life. Yeah. I feel like, so both of my parents are no longer with me. Mm. And we have one life to live. So you've got one life to live. You've been given a fair amount of gifts. And it might be privilege yeah. from the way you were born. It might be skills or talent. You know, it might be, you know, a, a certain insight into something. We've all got our chips to play. Right. And so then it becomes like, what problem are we uniquely qualified to solve? You know, what can we bring to the world to make it a better place? Because I truly think that's all we're here for. (laughs) And absolutely, um, you you, I want to live a comfortable life (laughs) for sure. Um, But I I know that like, you know, I remember, I remember being like 16 and seeing a, a model on a supermarket magazine cover. And I looked at her face and she's beautiful, right? And I was like, she's not happier than I am. <laughs> and I just knew it. I was like, that model right there, not happier than I am. And so money might make you comfortable, but it won't make you happy. And so what I think I personally 
derive joy and happiness and satisfaction from the things that I create and from the impact that it has on people, mm. right? And so if you, I feel like if you, if you live a life where you're truly true to yourself and do what you're supposed to do, um, and that, that's something you can figure out along the way if, you're, if, you, if you want to, right? Because some people really care about, you know, being true to what they're here put on this earth for. And some people are less concerned <laughs> with such things. And all's fair, right? Um, yeah. But if you want to concern yourself with it, I absolutely think that you can find your purpose and that you can absolutely achieve what you were set here for. I think so too. And I think you've given us a really beautiful process for doing that. So to start to wrap things up, um, we like to do a little lightning round to close out each episode. Mm -hmm. So three quick questions for you. One, one quick way that you raise your own energy. To raise my own energy, uh, let's see. I like to play music. I mm. love music. I like to sing. So if I want to raise my own energy, I will put some music on and I will sing and I will dance. So fun. One easy way you boost other women. Um, I love pointing out how special and talented and beautiful and uniquely qualified they are mm. and just shining, showing a mirror that they should be looking at about all of their special qualities that need to be valued. As a recipient of that, I am particularly <laughs> grateful. One little way you elevate your community, the planet, or the world, and we've heard so many big ways, but. Um, so I, I, I like to think that I very much am focused on the Latino community here in the United States because it's, it's a community I understand well and that I can serve. And I elevate them by celebrating our culture, celebrating our culture, celebrating our language. And again, putting a mirror up to them and showing them how wonderful and special they are. It's really So one of the things we are trying to do here at The Uplifters is mm -hmm. discover one another and mm -hmm. create a rich community and tapestry of uplifting women. And so... Who is a woman who inspires you, who you think might inspire us? So I'm going to recommend a woman called Beatriz Acevedo. Beatriz is an entrepreneur and a constant source of strength and wisdom for a lot of the entrepreneurs who are really putting together visions and seeing them through. She started off as a producer in Mexico and developed an Emmy nominated, an Emmy winning, I'm pretty sure she has a couple Emmys to her name, shows um, from reality shows, cooking shows. And then when tech took off and she saw like how YouTube was, social media were engaging people, she developed a short form comedy platform called Mitu, which became, it was kind of like in living color for Latin people. And it was short form comedy. Even today, it's it's still super, super popular. It makes you laugh all day long on, on your various social channels. And then she sold that for God knows how much, right? And she went on to decide, you know what? I'm, I've been serving this. She moved to the United States. I've been serving this U.S. Hispanic community. What our community really needs is financial literacy. So she pivoted to develop a financial literacy brand, a financial literacy tech platform that would serve and inform our Latino communities. And she's just 
such a source of wisdom and strength and insight. And she's a people connector and she knows everybody and she's a philanthropist and she's constantly shining a light on other women as well. And she's just a light. She's as an uplifter, she is the ultimate uplifter. So I can't wait until you bring Beatriz Acevedo onto the show. I can't wait to talk to her. Thank you. What a beautiful description of what it means to be an uplifter in the world. It is not something that happens in a single moment, but it is a lifetime. It is what we choose to do in each moment. And for the sake of everybody listening, I want to try to do a quick recap of some of the skill sets that I heard you employ in your way of being and creating your own definition of success. Um, Some of the main things I heard, as I said before, is just being able to not just identify your own talents and gifts, but to own them and to not dismiss them or disregard them or push them off as being unimportant or not enough, but to say, "This, this is what I've got and lead with that. And then to trust that you didn't need to know everything or have all the answers or have it all figured out to explore and play and jump in to new opportunities and ideas while constantly coming back to your own gifts and your own contributions, allowing yourself to feel a sense of purpose and impact at every stage of the game. And then finding through that what you love. And then narrowing maybe how you do and what you do to focus on the things that you actually enjoy doing and enjoy making an impact with and enjoy leveraging your talents around. Because you could have taken all of your beautiful talents in a million different directions, but the magic is that you use them for something that you got satisfaction and joy out of. And then you noticed where the impact was happening. And you planted more seeds there. And there was a moment in some of these stories where you were like, and I was bored. So that, so part three kind of took a step back and you were like, eh, turn. Let's start this process again. What am I good at? Where am I needed? What do I love? And then replanted those seeds that had been growing out of the last garden planted them in new gardens for new audiences. And there is no doubt in my mind that you will continue to do this throughout the course of your life. And that when I talk to you again in five or 10 years, we're going to hear more stories that are in essence, no difference than this one, but with new impact, new audiences, and an even greater sense of purpose and impact. I am so excited to hear what others hear from this conversation. So please come join us at theupliftherspodcast.com where we will be continuing these conversations with Susie and others where we'll be looking at the how so that we can all find our garden (laughs) and we can all plant our seeds and watch them grow in surprising and magnificent ways. I mean, somebody said, um, I forget, it's, it's some actress I, I saw on social said, um, when you plant seeds, 
seeds for for trees that you will get to enjoy um, that is truly sort of serving humanity and doing something larger than oneself. And I, I feel that way. I feel like, you know, yeah. it's not all about what I can achieve in this lifetime. I feel like it's what I can contribute at the end of the day. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And <laughs> we all have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need a little reminder, though. Yeah. And I, I think your story can serve as a really powerful for, reminder to all of us. And I absolutely include myself in this mm-hmm. recipe of, of that potential, that limitless potential. So if you're listening to this and it inspires you, please know that uplifting is contagious <laughs> and that the, the goal here is for us to all catch a little of Susie's spirit and to tap into and share our own. So please do share these stories with your friends and sisters and coworkers and the, the women who lift you up and the ones who you know could need to use a boost today. And then we'll see you over at theupliftherspodcast.com. Susie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Arantes, for inviting me. Thank you for all you do. Oh, please. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Uplifters podcast. If you're getting a boost from these episodes, please share them with the uplifters in your life and then join us in conversation over at the upliftherspodcast.com. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast and like, follow, and rate our show. It'll really help us connect with more uplifters And it'll ensure you never miss one of these beautiful stories. Big love. Painted water sunshine with rosemary and thyme. Dwell in the perplexing, though you find it vexing. Toss a star and hover, be your own best lover. Relish in a new prime, plant a tree in springtime. Dance with idle hindsight, bring the sun to twilight, lift you up, whoa, lift you up, whoa, lift you up, whoa, lift you up, lift you up, whoa.